Welcome to Farming for Health, where Farmer Lee Jones and I talk with leaders in food, farming, and health and wellness to spread knowledge and inspire a plant-forward future, starting now. Welcome to the Farming for Health podcast. I'm Dr. Amy Sapola, and today I'm with Nick Katsumpas, who is a plant coach and so much more, and author of this amazing book, Plant Coach. So, Nick, welcome. I can't wait for you to tell us more about yourself and how you became a plant coach. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Super excited to, to be on the podcast, and obviously, you know, Farming for health is why we're all here, right? Yeah. I started my plant journey gardening in my parents' backyard, literally. So Amazing. this is uh, coming full circle, and I love it. Good, good. So let's start. How did you How did you get to be a plant coach? Like, it started in your parents' backyard, and then how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, it's kind of a strange journey, very roundabout, but I lived a, a very kind of corporate life in New York. Mm -hmm. and was working at IBM and a couple other startups. And I was set to live a very kind of like businessy sales partnerships life. And because of the gardening that I did in my parents' backyard, I just developed this affinity for plants after college. And, you know, after college is this weird kind of inflection point in your life where you're looking for an identity. And I had been an athlete. I'd always been very you know keen to be outdoors and physical and my mom said, you know what, why don't you start a garden? Because you love just being active and outside and you love food. And once I moved into New York City, that's when I started to struggle because I lost that green oasis in my backyard and now was living in a 600 square foot concrete box. And that's not easy. And I don't think any human should or any human can reach their potential and thrive in that kind of environment without access to nature. So I did the only thing that made sense, which was buy 120 houseplants <laughs> and put them in my apartment and said, this, this should fix my problems. And it honestly did. It, it helped a lot. And from there, you know, you get friends and people come over and you have people messaging on Instagram saying, hey, like, can I do that too? Can you work with me? Can you help me bring that green into my life? So I started a side hustle, basically working with anyone in New York City who wanted plants indoors, edible gardens on their rooftops landscaping their terraces, you name it, I was down for it. And it was so, so exciting. And it reached the point where I was able to leave the corporate world and pursue plants full time. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And I know um, you were on the Netflix, Netflix show, The Big Flower Fight. Can you tell me about that experience and what's the biggest lesson you learned there? <laughs> wow, The Big Flower Fight. So for those that don't know, it was a show where you basically make giant plant sculptures with flowers and different types of foliage. It was incredible, incredible experience. That experience taught me more than anything that you have creative muscles that you may not have thought about before. For me, basically just going about my day and planting things in pots and containers that are to be expected, that was the norm for me. But now it became something where it's, okay, how do I make a 10-foot lion out of grasses? <laughs> so to be able to think creatively in that way and view plants differently, but more so even do it in a way that is eco-conscious. Mm -hmm. A lot of things in the floral world can be very damaging to the environment when you think about floral foam and things of that nature. So, you know, how can we do it and be creative and make art 
in a way that not only honors the plants, but honors the planet in the process. And that's one of the things I really loved about your book is you really bring in how do you do that, you know, in your home too, like eco conscious ways of having house plants. Can you dive into that a little bit more for like the home, the home plant parent? <laughs> yeah. What are, what are kind of the eco-friendly tips there? So there's, there's a important distinction here, I think to, to make, and it's that your home is not just four walls. It is a living, breathing ecosystem. And the more you can view your plant care through that ecosystem first lens, the easier it's going to be for you to take care of your plants. Because now, instead of viewing it as a piece of furniture, you're viewing it as a living being that needs a couple different things to, to thrive. You pull one string in an ecosystem, it affects all the others. So in our homes, it's heaters, it's AC units, it's lighting exposure, it's pets, it's other roommates who overwater your plants when you're away. There are so many factors that go into that ecosystem. And just by being more conscious of your role in that ecosystem, you will become a more eco-friendly plant parent because the most sustainable plant practice is not killing your plants because right. then you have to go out and buy another one, right? <laughs> and and I'm, not, I'm not blind to the irony of my situation because at the end of the day, I'm advocating for the earth through its consumption. House plants, in essence, are not a very sustainable practice. Uh, many plants are grown in other areas of the world, and I don't, personally don't order them from abroad, but people do. So there's lots of emissions involved in that. Um, the soil, peat is oftentimes in many different soil mixes, which the deforestation of our peat bogs is, has been a really big problem because they're a huge carbon sequestering force. So there's a lot of other factors here that make house plants not great for the environment, but I believe that if I can get you to care about the little plant on your desk, I can get you to care about the big plant we all live on, right? It's that first step, that stepping stone to environmentalism, which I think is so, so important. And you can do it in a really earth conscious way when you get those plants in your home. Oh, I love that. That's such good advice. And there's, of course, health benefits to having plants in your home as totally. well. Totally. Yeah. Can you dive totally. into that? Like, as far as what you've seen in the clients you've worked with, like, how does that affect mood and, you know, kind of overall wellness? I mean, the saying is plants make people happy and yeah. they're not lying, right? Yeah. It's, it's real. It can not only, you know, boost your mood, but also decrease stress. It can improve your sleep. It can improve your creativity. You know, I, if I have to do something in my day that involves some creative muscles, I want to do it in a room full of plants, not necessarily because I'm filming them, which <laughs> is, is usually the case, but more so just because it gets those juices flowing and really makes me more relaxed and in a state where I can be at my best. So, I mean, there's been, there's a couple studies I mentioned even in the book, um, hospital patients who have a window, just a window looking outside at something have reduced stays and better outcomes than those that don't. Even folks that had a picture of nature on the wall had a, yeah. had a beneficial impact, right? You know, you go to the hospitals with all the landscape photos. I'm like, why, why is that? Because um, you don't want to live in a sterile environment, right? You want nature, you want life around you at all times. And I think it has so many, so many other positive benefits that perhaps we're not even aware of yet. Yeah, such a good point. And 
it brings me back. I did a rotation um, as a student through a hospital that was part of the Pebble Project, and it was all about that, like bringing mm. nature into the hospital. And there was like trees growing indoors and water running. And I think there is something so healing about time spent in nature and bringing it into your home, I think, is an amazing way to do so. I know a lot of people are a little um, hesitant, especially I speak from personal experience. I love gardening outdoors. Like I feel super confident about gardening outside. No problem. When you bring a plant into my house, I all of a sudden am like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to kill it. So I'm excited to be talking with you. I, I showed you before we started, but here's my poor little plant in my office, right? And first it needs It looks water. okay. It, it looks okay. Really, it might need a little drink, but... Probably, um... probably needs some water. That's okay. <laughs> so... Where do you where do you start with people like me who are like, hey, I I'm okay outside, but like inside is like it kind of is intimidating or like scares me. I don't want to kill the plant. Like, are there a few plants yeah. you start with or a few tips you go to? Totally, and you're not alone because so many of my gardener farmer friends do not have success indoors. So many of my indoor plant friends do not have success outdoors. So yeah. I'm trying to bridge the gap here a little bit <laughs> uh, since I've done a little bit of both. So for me, you know, the the biggest thing when starting out is just, you know, finding the plants that will thrive best in your ecosystem. Now, I hesitate to say that some plants are lower maintenance than others because it depends on your space. You know, if you have great bright light and your fiddly fig is thriving, which is a notoriously fickle plant, that's great. That's going to be a low maintenance plant for you. But trying to force a plant into an environment that is a little bit, you know, maybe not as suited for its exact needs is going to end up being a higher maintenance plant. But for those that are just starting out, I think ZZ plants are amazing. You can see one actually right up there on my plant shelf. I put it up there because I don't need to water it very often. So <laughs> I'd have to stand on this couch anyway to reach it. So put your low maintenance plants in places that are a little bit harder to access. ZZ <laughs> um, plants, great. I love, love, love Monstera. They're so beautiful from a design perspective. They're amazing. The fenestrations and breaks in their leaves are so, so good. And they can tolerate a wide range of conditions. Bird of Paradise, Australitzia nicolai is a very common plant as well. That if you want that lush jungle feel, which many people are looking for, you'll get that out of that plant. And then the snake plant behind you, uh, that plant literally, I water it when I remember, which yeah. you know is once a month at most. So I find that oftentimes folks will overdo it with house plants. They think they need so much attention, but I think taking a more hands-off approach, something in the book that I call mindful neglect, I think is is probably the best way to go about it. I love that. And I I love that you bring that up because that was actually one of my next questions is mindful neglect. Like I love practicing mindfulness, but mindful neglect is a new term for me. Can you talk a little bit more about mindful neglect and how, how you use that with your plants? Yeah. So mindful neglect is a term that I coined with the plant care because I realized that the plants can do pretty well without me. <laughs> like, yes, I am essential to their survival. They need me to water them. They need me to ensure that they are in the right position to thrive. But once they're there, they don't, they're like, all right, dude, like chill out. Like I'm good now. I'm good. <laughs> so I think oftentimes we, we think that plants need so much mm -hmm. and plants can adapt in many different variety or many different ways to a variety of different spaces. So 
to me, mindful neglect is going in and checking in on my plants, be it once a day, once every other day, just so I can be proactive about my plant care. So if I notice a problem, I can intervene. Um, but if I don't, and I can just make observations and see how that plant is doing, then I don't necessarily need to be fussing over it 24 seven. And I want to give it the space that it can breathe a little bit. I think mindful neglect is a uh, concept that can apply to human relationships as well, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of human relationships need some space, right? If you can do it, you don't need me hovering over you 24 seven to, to potentially make you more stressed about it. So I think mindful neglect has been a cornerstone of my plant care. And for my hundred plus plants in this house, I probably spend no more than two to three hours a week on them. Wow. That's awesome. And when it comes to like that space to kind of recharge, rest, relax, being in nature is so key to that. And having the plants in your house can certainly help with that. How do you create like that space for someone? Like a really, like how do you bring plants in, I guess, to create like a restful mm. space? If you're going to create your space and do it in a way that is very kind of meditative and mm -hmm. restful as you're describing, I think the key is not necessarily having a jillion plants in your space like I do, right? You don't need to have a hundred plants to, to be happy and achieve that, but you need something that you are going to notice, something that takes center stage. It can be one plant in your space, but if you have a you know, 10 foot bird of paradise in a corner and you put a chair underneath there and you sit there and you read, you sip your morning tea, you meditate, what, what have you, that's a moment. That's a moment that you've created in your space. And, you know, it's hard to think of our homes as needing to be landscaped. But mm -hmm. when I do landscaping for clients, it's about creating these moments and outdoor rooms for them to experience and navigate. So for me, I have this moment, number one, this plant shelf behind me. I have a line of plants along the window here. In this corner, I have a plant table that I built and I have what's going to be a nine foot Monstera plant going in there quite soon, right? Ooh. So there's all these different moments within the same room that someone can have a different experience. If you go into my bathroom, wholly different plants in there, ones that appreciate more humidity in direct light. So it, you, can, you can achieve that in many different ways. It just depends on the specifications of that space. That's so neat to think about and to think about how, um, I guess, just to consider how much thought is going into creating like this space. And, you know, I think of creating like that meditation space, but not necessarily, I have never previously considered bringing plants into it. So I think that's really cool. Um, as far as like here at the Chef's Garden, we're really passionate about soil health. Um, when it comes to indoor plants, mm. what are you thinking of when it comes to the indoor plant soil? Ooh, regenerative ag and soil health is yeah. a, a topic I could talk about for days. Good. From an indoor perspective, a little bit trickier, right? Because yeah. we're, we're not necessarily wanting to foster a fully active microbiome that mm -hmm. has pests and different things that are composting in the soil. We don't necessarily want that indoors. Um, what I will say that I, I'm very conscious of is how can we make the soil mix as eco-friendly as possible? And I guess you call it soil health per se, but more ecological health as, as it relates to soil. Um, there are many substitutes for peat, which I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. and making your own soil mixes is something I highly encourage. 
So if you want to go out and buy cocoa coir instead, or use something that has a similar consistency or similar characteristics to peat, I think would be very beneficial to creating not just a, a healthier plant and soil, but also one that has a lesser impact on the environment. Now, when we go outside to my garden, it's a whole different story, right? I'm composting four different ways. I'm trying to encourage wildlife when I can. I have worms. I've got the whole thing. But indoors, right? I don't know if my roommates would be thrilled if I started bringing worms into the house. I think it'd be a great idea. I love <laughs> it. But it's just a little bit different. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Great answer. And when it comes to fertilizers, are there more sustainable fertilizers as well for indoor plants? Or is it, I'm more accustomed to like, kind of like the foaming or like pump sort of fertilizers. Yeah, like the, the, the pump fertilizers are all right. Like I try and stay away from miracle Grow products just because mm -hmm. it can be very highly synthetic. Um, I've used Super Thrive in the past, which is a great one. Um, people think it's just NPK mm -hmm. that plants need nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, but there's so many other micronutrients that are beneficial, uh, calcium, magnesium, sulfur, all these different ones. So I think finding something that's well-balanced um, is important. And then obviously the more eco-friendly ones you can find without necessarily composting in your own soil. People say, oh, can I put my compost in my house plants? I'm like, I mean, technically you could, but I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It's probably going to create uh, some other problems with pests that you don't want to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. When it comes to sustainability outside of like the plant world, are there other things in your life that you get excited about, like as far as sustainability goes or other practices you have? I mean, excited and angry is a <laughs> yeah is, is a is a there's a fine line between the two for me, and they're often very related. So, I I can't stand plastic. I mm -hmm. hate plastic more than anything, and it kills me that our nursery pots that plants come in are for the most part in plastic. There are some smaller ones that you can find, like cocoa husks and other eco materials, but for bigger plants, they come in plastic. So, I try and reduce my plastic consumption in so many different ways throughout the rest of my life, whether that's in my furniture purchases or my clothing purchases or my food purchases. So when I go to shop for groceries, either at the co-op or the farmer's market, 100% of my groceries are plastic free. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about that is that it also makes you eat healthier because yeah. it means you're not buying processed foods. So like Doug, I'm a vegan. I've been a vegan for three years. I love going out to let's say I'm going to a Dodger game and I can get an impossible burger, right? Yeah. Love that. It's an option for me, but I don't buy it at home because it comes in plastic. So instead it's like, okay, I'm either going to make it myself or I'm going to opt for something healthier that's whole food based. So some of these behaviors that you adopt for the environment or for your health have benefits to the, the other in that way. So being plastic free in, in many areas of my life has been a passion. Uh, I also drive an electric car called the Nissan Leaf, which is very fitting because yeah. it's oftentimes filled with leaves. <laughs> so um, it's just finding those different behaviors every day that are going to make you just a little bit more eco-friendly. I thrift all my clothes too. I love eBay. Oh eBay's gosh. the best. I love thrifting it's so much. so much fun. Oh, that's awesome. So tell me about being vegan. So you went vegan three years ago. What was kind of the um, spark that caused you to go vegan? And what's been your experience since? Yeah, the, the plants definitely encouraged me because I realized like, okay, you know, if I'm starting to care more about the plants in my space, I have to start caring more about the planet. And I'm learning about all these different ways that 
you know, you can reduce your impact as an individual. One of those can be eating uh, plants and just eating plants specifically. Now, I know in the regenerative ag movement, there's a lot of debate around what can be, you know, considered good for the environment, what isn't. Um, but for me, you know, having watched a few documentaries, uh, I've, I've realized like, okay, the best thing for me to do is to cut out my meat consumption and figure out ways that I can just buy local as much as I could anyway, which in New York was a lot harder than in LA. LA, very, very easy to do. Um, New York is tougher in the winter months, but overall, um, it's been something that has really connected me more with the earth and given me a better understanding of, you know, how I can make a difference, not just for the environment, but for animals and also my health. Mm, I love it. What's something you are like passionate about cooking right now? What's tasting good? What's your favorite dish to make at home? I'm huge on pumpkins right now. Like people, people, people think pumpkins are just for making, you know, Halloween decorations, but I have eaten probably three different types of pumpkins in the last in the last couple of days. The sugar pie pumpkin in particular is my favorite. It's a small little pumpkin, very sweet compared to like a traditional jack-o'-lantern pumpkin. Yeah. And I made pumpkin soup the other day with coconut milk. Oh, yeah. so good. Oh and you gosh. can make the seeds too. You can roast up the seeds for a little crispy garnish or snack. So good with a little chili powder and paprika. Fantastic. Yes. Well, that's one of the things we're really passionate about is eating basically like root to leaf. Like how do you use the whole life of the plant? If you're going to, you know, consume a pumpkin, yeah, totally eat the seeds and, you know, make the soup or whatever you choose. But it's really awesome to be able to use all parts of the plant. Um, So our podcast is called Farming for Health. And when you think of farming for health, what comes to mind? Ooh, farming for health. I mean, my first thing is is obviously, you know, health, mm-hmm. right? The human health, uh, which is important. But nowadays, you know, I'm more focused on the health of the planet mm-hmm. and doing things that are regenerative and putting more back into the earth so we can sustain our farming practices because the way our climate is moving, it is not always easy for farmers. And I think the biggest thing that I try and do outside of my own Instagram is just have more experiences with farmers because most people do not know where their food comes from. They have never met a farmer. It's only like, what is it? 1% of the population now. Mm-hmm. And it's responsible for feeding 330 million people. And I think the more you can build empathy for what the farmers are doing in regards to not just growing food, but how much they care for the land, right? Our, our view of farmers nowadays is not, I mean, obviously, you know, there are overalls and all that being in the field. I can see the picture of the book yes. right behind you, right? Overalls <laughs> are still very popular in the in the farming community. But there's so much science that goes into soil oh, health yeah. and understanding crop rotations and different methods that you can use to put more back into the soil that are going to help not just you, but generations down the line be able to produce and keep growing food in a healthy way. I mean, there's so many parallels to the human health, but you cannot have human health without planetary health as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we feel exactly the same. That's, I think, um, J.I. Rodale originally said, like, soil health equals plant health equals human health. And we like to say equals, like, global health, right? And so I think um, being able to connect all those things is so valuable. I know you mentioned to me that you were more recently on another show as well that's more like what you do in a day-to-day. <laughs> I want you to tell me about that and our listeners and 
kind of describe again, like what's what's a day like for you? What do you um, what do you do as a plant coach? <laughs> so, the life of a plant entrepreneur is very yeah. chaotic at times. But so I, I was on another show this year on Netflix called Instant Dream Home, where we renovate the homes of deserving families and they do not know and we are doing it in one day so they literally show up and they come back and their home looks completely different and my role in the show was handling all of the landscaping all the exterior work and you know some of these families you know you kind of learn about them behind the scenes you're doing this research and it's all about finding the right plants for their space but also for what they do and what they love and in the first episode in particular uh, the matriarch of the family. She had been a uh, an avid gardener, had done some farming work up in Ithaca, New York back in the day. And I wanted to build her a raised bed garden. Yeah. And, you know, that is like a very typical project for me and, and my team. So we have a landscaping business here in LA and New York, and we design spaces with an eco-conscious environmental focus first. So that means planting native plants. That means planting pollinator-friendly plants. Here in LA, drought-tolerant plants. Ripping up grass lawns is my favorite hobby, oh. uh, especially when there is historic drought and you go to these neighborhoods and you see these lush green lawns and you know it's just, oh, drives me crazy. <laughs> I just um, like grass so much, so I'm so glad that you see that. <laughs> it's, amazing. I mean, it depends on where you are, right? Yeah. If you live in New York or Atlanta, Georgia, like having a grass lawn, if you have kids or pets, great, right? It rains all the time. As long as you're not pumping it full of harmful fertilizers, which yeah. many lawns are, right? You you can have that. But even so, clover is a great option. Um, you can mix in native grasses depending on where you are. Here in California, carapia is a really cool um, alternative to some of these things. And for me, it's how can I teach a very upscale clientele about these different concepts and make it cool make it yeah. beautiful you know they one of my clients out in west hollywood they went to the getty and sent me pictures and said hey here's what we want our our landscape to look like oh. i said great ripped out half their lawn planted it with drought tolerant plants that will require so much less water to look beautiful and they were thrilled they were ecstatic so those are things that i'm very passionate about on a day-to-day -day basis that revolve around the actual landscaping business and mm -hmm. just trying to change minds and, and make them understand that growing food can be sexy and cool and look awesome. That same family, I built raised beds in their front lawn and yeah. they love it. So that is the next step for me, getting that person committed to these environmental changes through plants. I love that. That's amazing. So I know our audience is going to want to learn more about you. Where can they find you online? Instagram is the, probably the best place. Farmer Nick is the handle. Uh, my website has a bunch of other resources uh, as well as information on how if you want to do your own space, we can work together. So uh, totally open to answering all your plant questions as well. DM me pictures of your plants. I will do my best to diagnose and help out where I can, but that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on today. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Farming for Health. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Connect with Farmerly Jones and I on Instagram and Facebook.